0: Which is club for me. Genesis 3, 1 and 2. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. Good morning, church family. Morning. I hope you're happy Sabbath. I hope you're all doing well. Um, it's been a while since I've uh, preached here. Uh, we had a little. We had our Wisconsin Academy, um, the first Sabbath in in um, February, and so I feel like it's been a while since I've been in this format, but uh, praise the Lord, I'm really enjoying prayer meeting and so seeing you all every week in some way uh, or shape or form has been a blessing for me. Um, Today the sermon is, uh, if you recall, maybe you don't recall, maybe you were here, maybe you were not here, Uh, last fall when I first came, you know, as young, naive pastor, I You come and you just think, finally, I'll be able to do all the sermon series that I've wanted to do. And so I, not not thinking, I started a sermon series on faith. And then the next Sabbath was uh, something, what was the next Sabbath I was here? It was, um, oh, it was communion service. And then the next time that I was here, the third Sabbath in November, there was a guest speaker who had been prearranged before I came from the conference. And so I was like, boy, I really, I really uh, messed that up by not looking ahead at the calendar. You don't just come in and get to do whatever you want. It's not what you think. And so um, anyway, what I'm going to attempt to do is do a brief recap. I want to, because faith for me is so foundational for the Christian, God himself said um, begin, you know, the first place we find it is in Habakkuk chapter 2, where I was preaching from on that day, that the just shall live by faith. And so faith became a very kind of, I'll say, important topic for me, and it's something that I studied and, and I wanted to know, I wanted to learn. So what I'm going to attempt to do today is do that first sermon, I was establishing a definition for what faith is. And so I'm going to do a recap and reestablish that definition, hopefully in 10 minutes, and then I'll give you a condensed version of the second sermon, and then the next time I'm here, I'll be able to preach the subsequent sermon. So I'm going to attempt to do that. Pray for me and uh, pray that uh, the words are understandable. So let's pray together and ask the Lord to be with us. Kind Father in heaven, we're so grateful one more time. Lord, thank you so much for this beautiful day. Thank you for this opportunity to be here, to be able to gather together, to share one another, lift up one another's burdens. And uh, Lord, I just pray, Father, for the sermon this morning, that it would be articulate, that it would be uh, conveyed in a way that is understandable and helpful, and that people would be drawn closer to Christ as a result. Thank you so much for always being with us, and I just pray for a double portion of your spirit just now. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so real quick, you're going to get the fast version. Whenever I'm, uh, whenever I'm outlining what faith is, or whenever I'm trying to establish a definition, I always use the same text. I used a couple of texts last time because it was an entire sermon. But we will start in Matthew chapter 8. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 8 and then we'll go to our scripture reading after that. But when I'm establishing this definition, we're going to start here. Matthew chapter 8. It's the story of the centurion. This is Jesus. The centurion comes to him. He's asking him something. We're going to begin in verse 5. Try to do this in just a few minutes. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5, and I'll begin and I'll read through 10 or so. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, "...Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, when he heard it, he marveled. He was amazed. And he said to those who followed, "...Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel." Not even among the church folk have I seen faith like this. The centurion needed something accomplished in his life. What did he need? What was he coming seeking Jesus for? Healing, right? Healing of his servant. What did he expect to do that thing that he wanted to happen in his life? It's in verse... Let me see. Sorry, it's in verse 8. What was Jesus expecting to accomplish the task? The word only, right? He said, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but just speak a word only and my servant will be healed. He understood at this point in time in his life, he had seen or heard enough about Jesus and his miracles that he understood there was something different about Jesus. When this guy speaks, something happens. The dead are raised. People are healed. He saw and understood that whenever Jesus speaks, that thing comes to pass. And A.T. Jones, in a little book called Lessons on Faith, I read it when I first came into the church, 2010, somewhere around there, and he gave a definition in that book of what faith is, or his definition, based on this text. And he said, faith is expecting the Word of God to do what it says, and the depending on the word of God to do what it says. The word only. Expecting the word to do what it says, and the depending on the word of God to do what it says it will do. Jesus was expecting that what, sorry, the centurion was expecting that whatever Jesus said would happen. He said, don't even come. I'm not worthy that you come under my, to my house. Just speak the word only. Because the word of God is powerful, Amen. We understand that the world was framed by the Word of God. He spoke and it was. He said, Let there be light, there was light. He said, Let the plants, the animals, the birds, everything that we see come forth, and it happened. And so it was, as we read in Genesis chapter 1. He spoke and it happened. According to the book of Hebrews, we find out that the word of God is living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. The word of God is powerful. Isaiah 55, God specifically said, So shall it be the word that goes forth out of my mouth. It will not return to me void, but it will accomplish the thing that I sent it out to do. The word of God is powerful. Powerful. He speaks and things happen. God told us in Habakkuk chapter 2, and Paul repeats it in Romans 1 and in another place. I can't remember. He said, the just shall live by faith. Faith is dependence on God in His Word only. Expecting that God's Word will fulfill itself in our lives. The just shall live by dependence on God's word. Jesus, Jesus said it this way. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God shall man live. Living by faith. Dependence on God and His word alone. Expecting the word of God to do what it says, and the depending upon the word of God to do what it says. All the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. Alright, the title of that's our recap, that's our definition. Expecting the Word of God to do what it says, and depending upon the Word of God to do what it says. Now let's pick up, let's find out where we went wrong. Let's go back to the book of Genesis. Go back to the beginning. This is our sermon for today. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Kaylee read it for us. So we've learned that faith is expecting the Word of God, depending on the Word of God. Let's find out where our problems began. Genesis chapter 3. Now, by the time we're in Genesis chapter 3, the earth has been created. Everything's been made Perfectly from the the Creator's hand, Uh, directly, everything is perfect, the temperature is perfect, the the weather is beautiful, the animals, the, the birds, their songs fill the air, joyful songs of thanksgiving to their Creator. The animals, the beasts, the, the the birds are all I can just imagine. So I want you to imagine those things with me, how beautiful it must have been. And there's so many times I've tried to imagine it, and then I know that it's actually more beautiful than what I can imagine. <clears throat> so picture in your mind what the earth must have looked like. Adam and Eve, they wake up and they have this glorious being telling them that By His Word, He made everything, and that it's for them. He created everything by His Word. He's conveying in words how everything happened, and that He's giving them dominion over it. I've created all of this for you, I'm giving it to you. Their first full 24 hours on this planet was a Sabbath spent with God a beautiful place, a glorious place. If you ever wonder what God's attitude or what His demeanor is toward human beings, we can see the perfect world that He made for us. We can see the perfect sacrifice that He made for us. God never wanted us to experience the evil that we experience here. He wanted us to live forever. So let's pick up the story in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. You see, God is a God. We are told that God is love. In order for love to be love there must be a choice. You must be making a choice to love someone. And in the garden, how shall I say this? In the garden, if um, if there was no opportunity for Adam and Eve to show or choose to love God, then it wouldn't be love if there was no choice involved, right? And so... And another thing, Satan would have been able to argue his case in the courts of heaven. Hey, you've never even given me a chance to show them something different. And so Adam and Eve had to make a choice whether or not they were going to love and obey God or love and obey something else. It's only love if there's a choice and they're making the choice to choose God. And God is a God of love. He's not a God of force or coercion. So let's pick up the story. Now, I am going to be doing my own, I'll say, it's how I picture the story, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flesh it out that way. And as I work through the text, you'll see why I see it this way. So don't stone me for adding to the Word of God. Just hear me out, okay? We will get through this together, I promise. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So I picture the scene. I picture the scene this way. And as we get down the verses, you'll understand, you'll see why I picture it this way. So Adam and Eve are in the garden. And... I believe that Eve at some point, they're not together at this point in time because this conversation is just happening between the serpent and Eve. But I believe at some point in time, she was in the garden and they were not together, clearly not together at this point. There would have been more than one person involved in the conversation. And I believe that she saw this being in the tree eating the fruit. And I believe that she... As she there was some some moment of intrigue or something that went through her mind as she's looking at it, she is there's this a sense of wonder. There's a sense of intrigue because she's just been told in just a few verses before, we don't know the time frame. She's just been told, if you eat this fruit, you will die. So I think in her mind, she is wondering what's going to happen to the animal. She's wondering what's going to happen to the serpent. So I think there's an element of intrigue as she's standing there watching him. And who knows, maybe he's making all kinds of wonderful sounds. Maybe he's, you know, just picture diving into a meal and he's, oh, this is so good. This is so wonderful. And so I think she's wonderingly looking at what is going to happen to him. And at some point in time, their eyes meet. And he asks this question. What, has God said that you're not allowed to eat from the trees of the garden? And it's just to pull her into conversation. If, she had just, if he had just reached out and said, here, eat this fruit, she never would have done that, right? So he's pulling her into conversation. She's just been told in 2.16 that if you eat of this tree, all 15 and 16, if you eat of this tree, you will die. So he pulls her into conversation. Is it true that God has told you not to eat from any tree of the garden? It's a ridiculous notion. And he knows that it's not true, but he's just trying to pull her into conversation. But he's calling into question the word of God. She responds. The woman says, verse 2, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the fruit of the trees of the garden." Number verse 3. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Eve has done something intelligent here. It's, It's not true, because God said, You can't what? Eat of it. And she has added, Don't even touch it, lest you die. So I don't know, but the devil could have capitalized on that at some point. But, She's already done something that we, very, we see the Jews do throughout history. They create fences around commandments, okay? And so, like, uh, so in order not to break the Sabbath, they've got 500 other rules of what it means to not break the Sabbath. And so it became very obscure in people's minds, like, what is the actual sin here? You know, and, and by the time Jesus comes around, they're being condemned for rubbing grain in their hands because that's harvesting, right? And so they had lots of little rules. Eve does the same thing. She creates a fence around the commandment. And what this does is give opportunity for Satan to, if I'm right here in front of Jeff and we're having a conversation, and he's in the tree and he he says, you won't surely die based on she just said you eat it or touch it. And he could have just tossed her a piece of fruit. and she, Your instinct is to catch the fruit, right? You're just that close. Or he could have handed it to her. I don't know. That part I'm not making a case for. But he could have... And as she's touching it, she's like, wait, nothing's happening. And so the, the, the what actually constituted sin would become blurred in her mind. That's why it's dangerous to do that. All right, let's keep going. <clears throat> she did something that makes sense, because if you don't touch it, you're not going to eat it. But it wasn't the actual sin. That's not what God said. <clears throat> At her, at her response, I can almost hear a chuckle in the serpent's voice. As he says in verse 4, you, The serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Let's take a step back really quick. How many voices has Eve heard in her life her short life up until this point in time? How many voices do you think? We could could name her husband, the voice of God. We could maybe consider her own voice. You can hear that. Um, But up until this point in time, she's never heard an animal speak to her. Okay, She has only heard, maybe we could say angels have spoken to her. Maybe God, uh, well, we know God has spoken to them. So, she's never seen a creature speak at this point in time. <clears throat> Everything is really, relatively new to her at this point in life. But she's looking at a serpent. She's never seen an animal speak. She's looking at a serpent in a tree that is eating forbidden fruit, that if you eat of it, you'll die. And he's not dying, he's actually speaking. So he's looking at her, and she's looking at him, and he's not being demoted. He's gone from a dumb, mute beast to now he is speaking. So by all appearances, from her perspective, he hasn't hasn't gone downward in this scale of animal life. He's actually gone upward. He's ascended to a new level of he can now speak. so he has actually elevated his existence from eating the fruit. Satan tells her that if she eats the fruit, she will become like God. She will elevate her position as well. Not only will it not kill you, it's actually good for you. You're created in the image of God. What might happen to you if you eat the fruit? You will become like God himself. And God doesn't want you to do that. So the Word of God tells her she will die, but her eyes, her perceptions, her her senses are telling her that actually God is the one who is lying, and the serpent is telling her the truth. Eve is truly being deceived by what she hears, what she sees. The serpent was not harmed, he's now speaking. What might happen to her if she ate the fruit? What power might she attain? Her eyes, her ears, her senses, her perceptions are telling her that the serpent is telling the truth. But what did the word of God say? The word of God says that she would die. So was Eve, when she? we get to this point where she's considering and the conversation has moved on, Is Eve walking by faith, dependence on God's word, or is she walking by sight? By what she sees. By what she's making an intelligent decision based on what she sees. What her perceptions are telling her. And the reason I flesh the story out that way is because of right here in verse 6. Listen to what the Bible says. It is keying in on her senses for a reason. The Bible says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, why did she think it was good for food? She's watching the serpent eat the fruit, and nothing bad is happening to him. It's focusing in on her senses that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise. Why did she think it was going to make her wise? Because she saw the serpent eating the fruit and now he's speaking. She's thinking it's going to take her up a notch as well. A tree desirable to make one wise. There's a reason that the Bible writer is focusing on her senses because that's what she was depending on and not on the word of God. So the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate and she also gave to her husband who was with her in the garden and he ate she saw that it was good, that it was pleasant to the eyes, that it was desirable to make one wise. Her senses and perceptions told her that everything was okay. She made a logical decision based on what she saw in the serpent's experience and, she, and based on what the tree looked like. The Bible clearly outlines how involved her senses were in her decision-making. The serpent Satan truly deceived her. When she told God, the serpent deceived me and I ate, that was was 1,000% true. She was deceived into believing something that was not true. She She was walking by sight, by what her own mind, by what her eyes, by what her ears were telling her, not based on the word of God. Faith is depending on the word of God only, and she ended up depending on herself and her own reasoning capabilities. The serpent was tempting her to do that. Faith is living by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, depending on it to come to pass. From this point, from this point in the garden, humanity has tripped over this problem Trusting our own logic, trusting our own senses over the Word of God. Over and over and over and over again. This issue, this has been since that point and will be a pivotal issue for us in our Christian experience. Let's think about a couple of more stories during the time of Noah and the flood. The Bible outlines this over and over again for us. Over and over, these stories of people trusting their own senses over the word of God. During the time of Noah and the flood, God said, you know, in X amount of time, there's going to be a flood coming. You need to build an ark for the saving of humanity. So, Noah and his family acted in faith, believing that the word of God was going to come to pass. So their faith led them to action. What was that action? Building an ark because God said so. God told them to do that. That's right. Following what God asked them to do. However, the fact checkers of Noah's day said what? A flood is impossible. We've never had a flood before. We don't need to worry about that. Right? We can trust our own senses because we've never experienced it before, so we don't, need to, we don't need to prepare for this. So they trusted themselves over what God said. And we know the result that only eight souls acted in faith and got on that boat. And God started all over with eight people. A worldwide flood was not possible according to the fact-checkers of Noah's day. Think about the story of Abraham. God said to Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a son. He's going to be through him. The lineage of the Messiah is going to come. All nations of the earth are going to be blessed. After X amount of years of nothing happening, no son coming, what do Sarah and Abraham do? They do something that makes sense to them, Right? Let's get a younger woman, forgetting that God's word is able to fulfill itself, regardless of circumstance, regardless of what we think is right or wrong. And so Abraham and Sarah, they conjure up this plan. Maybe, you know, maybe we'll just, we'll do what makes the most sense to us. And so they get another woman involved, and it creates a lot of problems for the family. But God said, it's through Sarah that the Son is going to come. And it didn't make any difference how old they were, because God's Word, if He speaks, that thing will come to pass. And He spoke and said, you are going to have the Son. They made a logical decision based on their circumstances, based on their perceptions. Age and circumstance do not hinder the Word of God from coming to pass. He speaks things into existence. And as we depend on His Word, as we align ourselves with that Word, we experience that power in our own lives. That's what living by faith is. It's expecting God's Word to come to pass, and we'll flesh that out more next time. Abraham and Sarah walked by sight, not by faith. They were not depending on the Word of God. They were depending on themselves in their own Logic. What about the children of Israel when God brought them to the promised land and the twelve spies were sent out? God said, go in and take the land. What did they do? They went, surveyed the land. They said, it is truly a wonderful, beautiful place. It is a land filled with, flowing with milk and honey. But when they saw the people of the land, their eyes, their senses told them what? We can't can't take this. We are like grasshoppers in their sight. Forgetting what God said. Forgetting that the power was not based on what they could do, but it was based on the command to just get in harmony with the command and the word of God would fulfill itself. But they trusted, again, human beings doing what we do, what we've done all the way back from the time of Eve, trusting in our own senses. Trusting in what our eyes and ears are telling us and making a logical decision based on that. Forgetting the power in the Word of God itself. This issue of trusting ourselves, trusting our own judgment, or having our circumstances dictate our lives, rather than depending on the Word of God, has plagued us as human beings since the fall. We see it time and time in the Bible, and we see it today <clears throat> In our day there's there's many different issues floating around that are completely contrary obviously to the word of God As human beings we have we have redefined what day the Sabbath is What day what day does the word of God say the Sabbath is The seventh day the Bible says that the Sabbath, the Word of God, is set, the Sabbath day is the seventh day. It's set apart for a holy use. And as we participate and rest on that day, according to the commandment, God says it is through this means that He is working out His will, His sanctification process in our lives, ceasing from our own works. <clears throat> Are we trusting in Christ alone as our only means of salvation, or are we trusting in ourselves? I am depending on the words of Jesus when He says to me, Whosoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. I am depending that that word, I am expecting and depending that that word is true, and that whenever I come to Jesus with whatever problem I have, or whoever I'm interceding for in prayer, He says that whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. So I'm depending that that word is true. I'm depending on the word of God when the Bible says in John 3, 16, when Jesus says that for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him doesn't have to perish. They can have eternal life in Jesus Christ. I am depending on Christ and his merits. I'm depending on what the word of God tells me. I don't have any hope of salvation outside of that. I have no other way. I am depending on what God said. <clears throat> I'm depending on the words of God. In, John <clears throat> in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, he says, If I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me. And cleanse us from and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I might be misquoting that. I am depending on those words that God is faithful in keeping his word. I'm depending on the word of God when it tells me in Philippians 1 6 that he who has begun a good work in you will finish it. And as I accept these words by faith, it gives me a lot of peace in my heart that it's not dependent on me. I'm depending on Christ. And he's the one who started the work. He's the one who's going to finish the work. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. It is Christ working in me. Am I depending on Christ alone that he will finish the work he has started? There are so many things that we do by faith. Tithing is an act of faith. We're depending on the Word of God, what it tells us, that if we bring our tithes into the storehouse, He'll pour it out on us such a blessing that we won't be able to receive it. It's an act of faith. I am expecting the Word of God to come to pass in my life. We observe Sabbath by faith because we're expecting, believing, and depending that the Word of God is true. There is no, there's no reason for the weekly cycle outside of what God said. We have a moon cycle. We understand that that's how long it takes for the moon to go around the earth. We have the, a day. That's how long it takes for the earth to spin on its axis one time. We have a year. That's how, many, that's how long it takes for the earth to go around the sun. But the only reason that we have a week, a seven-day week, and a Sabbath at the end of it is because God said so. That's it. And I am depending on that, not on my own logic, Not what human beings created somewhere throughout the ages that made sense to them because Jesus resurrected on this day, so this must be the new Sabbath. People depending on their own logic. Again, I'm not depending on that. It has been nothing but a failure for us all along the way. I am depending on the Word of God only. When it comes to giving my tithes and offering, am I trusting what the Word of God says and giving a faithful tithe, or am I letting my circumstances dictate how much I will give? Tithing is an act of faith. Living by faith is complete dependence on God and what His Word says. As human beings, we've redefined what the Sabbath day is. In our infinite wisdom, in recent years, we've redefined what God says about marriage. And now we've got lots of different ways that that works. How's that? Going to work out for us. In recent years, we've become confused about the most foundational, fundamental thing that we have taken for granted for thousands of years our own biology. Because the Bible says, God said in Genesis 1:26 and 27, that He made us in His image, male and female. He created us in His image. And now, The rebellion in humanity is so strong in the carnal nature that human beings are rebelling against their own biology. We're redefining based on what we think and what we feel, based on our senses. It's nothing new. It's the same thing that Eve was tempted to do in the garden. We're just doing the same thing over and over again. I don't know about you, but I want to depend on God's word. From this first deception, Satan has been pretty much successful in every lie he's ever told since. We're told we're, we're at a point in human history in which the hatred for God and rebellion against him is so strong that we're rebelling against what we are. We've become our own mini-gods, and we get to decide exactly as Satan said. You eat the fruit, you'll be like God. You get to order your own life. It hasn't been good for us. Sin was a bad thing to do. I don't know about you, but I want to live by faith. I want to live by God's word alone. I want his word to continue to transform my life and bring me back into harmony with who God intended for us to be. We were designed and created to reflect the character of God, not what, we're, not what we see going on in our world today, all of the evil that is happening. I want to cling to his promises to see and experience His power in my life. Is that your desire today? Amen. Amen. Will you please pray with me? Kind Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for preserving this word as a guide for us in our lives. Lord, we would be completely lost without it. Thank you so much for, for giving us hope. Thank you so much for... Providing a means of salvation. Thank you so much for being the loving creator that you are. And Lord, we just want to be responsive to what your word says. We want to be in harmony with it. We pray that you continue to give us a greater hunger and thirst for your word. That we might know what is good and what is evil. Thank you so much, Lord, again, for this opportunity to be here. And I just pray that your spirit would continue to work in our hearts and minds. Draw us to you. Make us more like yourself. Help us to reflect you more fully every day. We love you. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.